I'm Molly O'Connor. And I'm Sarah Connell. And you are listening to Pop It. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture. This week on Pop It, we went on site at Wormtown Brewery with Director of Marketing Katrina Shabo to discuss the state of women in beer. Wormtown Brewery was born in a small ice cream stand on Park Avenue and has quickly grown into a 50,000 square foot space on Shrewsbury Street. Wormtown prides itself on a three-decker attitude and a mounting list of accolades. Molly, before we step into the tap room, which was a little noisy, I apologize, but it's so authentic. It, yeah, I think it'll end up being kind of sounding kind of cool, right? Definitely. Yeah, do what you can. <laughs> That's the thing. We're so mobile now and we have this awesome equipment and amazing software. Yeah. Oh my God. You know what Jasper got me for Valentine's Day? What? An audio editing class at Duke University. He texted me and asked me what software you were using. I love him so much. And he was like, don't tell her. And I was like, yeah, I figured you would ask her if it was like something that you wanted her to know. It was very cute. He also got me a gift certificate to a Michelin star restaurant, which is pretty neat. So that is very neat. I got a lot of, I wasn't even going to talk about this. Sorry, but I got a lot of really positive feedback about the article I wrote on per se this week. Yeah. Because it's awesome. I just didn't know how it would land. Part of me was like, no one in Worcester wants to read about this. I think uh, because it just didn't feel like there was a clear connection. Hunger for it. (laughs) Well, yeah. And now, so we've mentioned before the stats that like 65 new food and beverage licenses were pulled in the last year. I think with tons of restaurants opening, people are eager for context. Like who set the standard? Oh, absolutely. And I also think, I mean, I think of myself, like I'm not the greatest cook or anything, but I watch a lot of food network and I have a lot of, I follow a lot of chefs. Like I have a lot of exposure to it and I like to read food writing. I like to read eater and I like to, you know, yeah. Pete Wells every week and Helen Rosner. It's just like two things I look forward to is when are they going to put out more content? And I like the story. So I think, um, I don't think it has to be like local. I I like to know about stuff like that, you know, like all of the, um, controversy with the, with like Mario Batali and the spotted pig, April. Yeah. April Bloomfield. I kept thinking the speckled pig and I was like, that's not the name of that restaurant. But like, I think it's fascinating for anyone that's just like interested in food. Food is such a microcosm for a larger culture. And also there was a direct connection, Jared Foreman. So I said, I was like, okay, Jared, I want to sit down and talk about your time at Per Se. And he said, I only worked there for four months. It was my first internship and it was a really competitive program at Johnson and Wales. Everyone would compete for this one spot at Per Se. And so he worked for free, like picking herb leaves and shucking oysters and everything else. And he said, if you want to move up in this restaurant, you have to understand that a Thomas Keller is King. You will never ascend to be the executive chef of per se or the French laundry or anything like he is God, you know, and he got there right after Thomas Keller had finished consulting on Ratatouille. Mm -hmm. And right after they had shot all the photos for Thomas Keller's second book. And so he was like riding high on New York at that point. Yeah. And Jared just said the most amazing thing was nobody was stealing your mise en place. Mise en place. (laughs) Nobody was like trying to sabotage each other in that kitchen. People were all dedicated to this one fearless leader, Thomas Keller. And he said somebody wore a bracelet that said um, WW. TK. <laughs> D? Yeah. What would Thomas Keller do? I love that. I mean, I think that is even enough context, right? Like just the idea that so many people within the, his program at Johnson & Wales were competing. 
So you didn't like that's a lot. That says a lot. Right. And we get a little piece of that, that he's the guy yeah. who had that experience cool. and he came to Worcester. Yeah. But the other cool thing reminded me of Dead Horse. Thomas Keller is a huge proponent of the tasting menu. He only wants to give you a bite of everything because he doesn't want you to get used to a certain flavor. He likes this theory of diminishing returns. So he wants every like first bite to send sensations. I wanted to ask you on a pop culture front about Katy Perry's engagement. Katy Perry got engaged to Orlando Bloom. The ring is ridiculous. The ring is huge. Yeah, she has been... They had been, they've been together for a few years, but they broke up briefly. He's a son with Miranda Kerr, the Victoria's Secret model, Flynn. And I think that they had like a pretty amicable divorce and they've been, they split up a while ago. And so he's been dating Katie for a while. They were recently at Jennifer Aniston's 50th birthday party. So was Brad Pitt. Tell me about that. Do you have any scoop? That's all I know. Why was he there? I think that, I think that they're, they were, they're friendly. I don't think they hate each other. Well, I guess, so there's no, like, proof that Brad was there. People was, like, reporting it. Well, because so, she had banned social media yeah, and, and Kate she, Hudson yeah, broke allowed, the rule. Yes, so she then allowed her to post, like, three pictures or something. I think they're just buds. But um, Justin threw her ex-husband just posted, a, or on her birthday posted a very nice birthday post for her as well. I think she's just friendly with her exes, maybe. People always say that what your exes think about you should be a good indication when you're entering a relationship, but I don't think that would fare well for me. Oh, no, Sarah. <laughs> it's a long story, which I guess segues into our next spot uh, uh, oh, at yeah. two Ryan Adams. Yeah, it, I'm not shocked by this Ryan Adams news. So like this New York Times re- our story came out about the seven women who discussed how Ryan Adams basically was like, I'm going to help you with your career. It's going to be great. We're going to make all this music. And then it turned poisonous, basically. Like it turned into him trying to get sex out of the women. And then if they weren't going along with what he wanted, he was basically like making them toxic and unable to like move forward in the yeah, music Yeah, I shouldn't industry. say all of my exes would say terrible things about me. The one that reminds me of Ryan Adams would say terrible things about me. Oh. But this idea of grooming where you say, oh, what industry are you going into? I can help you to become the greatest yeah. of all time. And we're going to collaborate and take over the world, you know, that kind of thing from a professional standpoint. And then Ryan Adams would not, not pull through. Right. He would totally leverage like their sort of romantic or sexual relationship with how much exposure he gave them in their professional careers. Even Mandy Moore. Yeah. Which is crazy. Cause he was, they were married. Like it wasn't like she was just some random. Yeah. That relationship lasted six years. Yeah. And I think that can deter a lot of people from coming forward that if you're in a relationship that long, you start to think like, oh, this must be my fault because I stuck with it for so long. If I leave, people are going to say, well, it seemed perfect. It seemed fine. But Ryan Adams was 10 years her senior when they got together and he convinced her that she was less than a musician because she didn't play an instrument, even though her commercial success had been so huge. Right. And I have to imagine, yeah, I, I would imagine that her worth to a record label far outpaced his. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, 
I would guess. It depends. Well, I guess it depends though, because he his audience is different too. Totally different. But I'm thinking commercial success. Yeah. The one thing that I thought was crazy. So Liz Fair, who's one of my favorite people in the whole world, recorded with him, and someone asked her about it on Twitter. And she wrote, if like, they basically asked her if she would talk about it. And she said, if I do, I'll write about it. But I think you can extrapolate. My experience was nowhere near as personally involving, but yes, the record ended and the similarities are upsetting. So even like, she's not someone to mess with. She even, she came out and was like, this is how it goes. This is not off brand for him. Yeah. It's a pattern. And so many of the people like this, like R. Kelly, it is, it's a pattern. Absolutely. And people look at him as an artist and say, Oh, it's just this one instance. Oh, it's just the way he is. Keeps happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, I, I also think that he, I mean, obviously has issues, but I know he also has, has had drug and alcohol or addiction issues in general too. So that doesn't help the situation any, you know? Right. Well, and uh, the reason that this breaks my heart too, is I'm a huge fan. I went to see his show a couple of years ago and Jenny Lewis opened for him, who is a goddess. She said she's deeply troubled by this. So the FBI is investigating it too. Because there's possibly a minor involved. Yeah. She was 13 or 14 when they started to correspond. Crazy. Not like, yeah. Um, I just also want to say that I was looking at some of the headlines and I'm just scrolling on here and there's a CNN article and it just says, Brian Adams is not Ryan Adams. (laughs) So if you are confused, Brian Adams of summer of 69 is not who we are talking about. We are talking about Ryan Adams from whiskey town. (laughs) When Ryan Adams covered the entire 1989 album by Taylor Swift, there were so many confused middle-aged people. (laughs) Yes, it's, that is true. Breaking news, Ryan Adams, not not Brian Adams, (laughs) not, yes, different people. I would guess that Brian Adams is a lot taller. How tall is Ryan Adams? I don't know. I just think he's short. Mm. He, if you look at him with Mandy, he's not tall. It's a Napoleon complex. She's a lot taller than he is. Well, we are excited to talk today to a woman in beer because that is a male dominated industry. And she... She, she like, she punched her way in basically, which is cool. She's a presence. She started by volunteering and she's just risen the ranks. She has a lot of cool things in store too, that she couldn't tell us about, which is very exciting. We tried to get a scoop out of her. One thing that she would invite everyone to join, particularly the women in the community who love beer, they're doing a pink boots brew on March 9th, which you can look out for on their social media, but they're very excited about getting more and more women involved in the beer industry. Very exciting. Enjoy. Mass Foodies curates exclusive events and publishes thought-provoking content for the food-centric person. When asking yourself where to eat tonight, turn to MassFoodies.com to see what's happening in the Massachusetts food scene. That's MassFoodies.com. I'm Molly O'Connor. And I'm Sarah Connell. And you are listening to Pop It. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture. Wormtown prides itself on its three-decker attitude and a mounting list of accolades. Welcome, Katrina. Hi, Katrina. Thanks for having me. 
can you tell us about how you landed this sweet job at Wormtown? <laughs> God. Um, I started as a graphic designer, uh, art forward. I became marketing for as a freelancer and I landed a job as a, with doing it at a liquor store and he had me go in all these festivals trying different beers and I just really fell in love with it. So with that came just trying to volunteer at every brewery I could, learning how to be a brewer and just being persistent. I really had no experience, but I just, you know, I read books, I kept learning, I kept trying and I landed my first job at a brewery and it just kept growing. That's funny. It reminds us, our guest a couple of weeks ago was Danny Babineau from Redemption Rock Brewing. And she yeah. started the same way. She was volunteering at every beer fest yeah. and just trying to get really her feet wet in the industry. Mm-hmm. That's, that seems to be the way to do it. And I think a lot of our guests tend to have that that attitude where it's like, here's what I want to achieve or like, here's where I want to be. So like, how do I get there? And then just like going forth, right? Um, like Stephanie Ramey talked about that from yeah. Discover Central Mass. We're really drawn to people who find something that doesn't feel like work to them, but feels like work to other people. Uh, and one of those people the other day was Bill Nemeroff. And I know he's going to be in-house on February 25th for an event with Brian Treitman of BTs. Can you tell us what's going to go on? Oh, that's so exciting, actually. So we got together with Luke from Mass Foodies, and we just really wanted to work together because he's making you know big strides here in Worcester, and we're trying to... You know, we really love the whole food pairing, things like yeah, that, you know, with absolutely. beer. And we really think this is a culinary experience all in itself. Like really, you know, people got so into wine and tasting and flavor profiles and things like that. And we really think that, you know, beer obviously follows suit with that as well. So he, you know, gave us a couple different options. And this isn't the first, like this isn't going to be the first, like this is something really exciting. So we decided to have a very intimate beer dinner here at the brewery and at our patio. And he's come up with a special menu, no barbecue, to really showcase what he can do. And I think it's going to be really exciting. We're going to give uh, everyone a tour of the brewery, you know, beers to start off with, walk around, really get the experience here, and then sit down for a really nice interview. I know Brian worked with some of the top restaurateurs in Boston before he moved out to Sturbridge. Uh, the people that started Uni and Toro and Copa and Little Donkey, uh, Ken Oranger and Jamie Bassinet. So It'll be interesting to see him flex those culinary muscles. I know. I, I honestly really want to see, like, I just want to see it in action because we all know him as, you know, barbecue. Yep, absolutely. It's so funny because I was wondering where, when you said, or when I heard about the dinner, I was like, where is it going to be? I'm well, like thinking, I'm like, there's not a lot of room inside of there, like, in, for like the way it's. We're small but mighty. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Well, I think that's why we wanted to keep it more intimate. And I think, you know, by dressing up that patio with nice lighting and being able to speak to everybody, I think will really be awesome. Yeah, that's going to be nice. And I think right now it's helpful to us to showcase that we, you know, we do a lot of things. You know, he does a lot of things besides barbecue. We do a lot of things besides Be Hoppy, which is our powerhouse right now to kind of showcase all of our different styles and varieties. Now, we were told that this is the bottling room. Is it true? Accurate descriptor? (laughs) It seems like the everything room. This is the packaging hall. So this is where we can our beer, we keg our kegs, and we bottle our bottles. So (laughs) it's, yeah, and this is a new state-of-the-art canning machine that we got in. So it's crazy. Honestly, when I first started here, we were hand doing everything. We were like scrubbing kegs by hand. We were filling them by hand. And now it's like, all you do is put it on this machine. It's really cool. It reminds me, I know it's, well, oh, actually, it does remind me of Laverne and Shirley. I was like trying to think. In Laver- Laverne and Shirley, they worked in a 
brewery, I think. What? Was it the winery when they were crushing the grape? No, that's <laughs> oh, okay. Whoa, oh, Laverne and Shirley. Oh, and they were pulling the things off and then they were like drinking them because they were yeah, falling yeah, over and yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah. There must be a gif out there yeah, somewhere. In the, in, the, um, in the opening, I think they're right outside of the lake because I believe it took place in Milwaukee. And so I think that they worked. So I love that. Well, this reminded me when Luke pitched it to us, he said, we want you to go tape an episode in the bottle room. And I was like picturing something what? smaller and a little quieter, but this is really uh, on brand for you guys. So I do apologize to our listeners for some of the working equipment in the back, but it will result in delicious beer. Yes. Uh-huh. And it's, it gives it a um, an ambience. Oh, definitely. We're in, the, we're in the brewery. We're in the... Yes, I was... I took this class when I was in graduate school about Virginia Woolf, and she has one of her most famous essays, A Room of One's Own. And it's all about how women can only be creative if they've got, you know, a a literal room of their own and also a metaphorical room where they can flex their creative muscles. But I was curious what your position is as a woman in beer here and what the breakdown is at Wormtown as far as female employees go. I mean, I think that we're really vast and we have some really powerful and amazing and talented women here, you know, as we speak, um, you know, Christine Chase runs our tap room. I run our marketing department. Um, Kate Danath, uh, runs all of our finance and, you know, HR stuff. Um, we have a lot of amazing women, not just like the women that you see working in our tap room. And I try not to focus on that type of stuff, I guess, you know, I'm, that's what Sherry Sadowski from the Abbey always says. She's like, I'm not a female business owner. I'm a business owner. Exactly. I mean, I've been interviewed about diversity and women in the beer industry. And honestly, I think the best thing I can ever say is that there's always going to be sexism and racism and all this stuff out there in the world. But if you focus on it, then it's really, you know, it's going to drag you down. And I think that if we all believe in ourselves and see past that, then you can, anyone can accomplish anything they put their mind to. Mm-hmm. The Worcester Business Journal came out with some stats this morning. They said you guys have 25% women out of your 36 employees. I know there are a lot of breweries who have been trying to do blind hiring lately to diversify the workforce. Uh, What have you done in terms of just an effort to make sure that women's voices are heard here? You know, I actually went to uh, the Mass Brewers Guild meeting the other day and Dr. J stood up and talked about diversity and it actually brought a lot of light or insight, I guess, to say of things that even I as a woman never really thought about. And one of her things were if, you know, you're trying to employ people here at your brewery, it does depend where you put, you know, the the job description out there. And, you know, if you just put it on Brewbound, what are you going to get? But how, what are you doing to make strides to help diversify your company? So I always said that we just hire those that are most qualified. And unfortunately, you know, if we don't get a range of diversity that apply here, you know, we're going to hire the best that we get. But that actually made me think a lot about how do we broaden our range here. So that was just about a month ago that really has my brain thinking about this. And, you know, so I guess first steps. Right. It's, it's diversifying the pool, right? Like that's what a lot of the, the problem seems to be is that the types of people who are applying for these jobs or have the access to, you know, the resources that are going to get them here are not always the people that you're looking to hire to diversify. We always think to like put it out there on, you know, the, you know, the beer publications and things like that, because that's where you're going to get all the beer people. But, you know, honestly, now 
this industry has grown so much that I think it really would benefit us to broaden our range and put it out there, to, you know, even on social media, like Facebook has a new job description, you know, application thing. And, you know, there's just so many different ways now to get people yeah. in here. And I would like to think that, you know, women aren't as timid as they maybe they used to be to apply to an industry like this. You know, I've definitely had my fair share of uh, judgments and comments and, you know, things that you just kind of try and look past. But I think that we're we're getting stronger and, you know, there's so many amazing women in this industry. Yeah. I think that like having someone like you and then like someone like Danny Babineau who has her down the street, her brewery down the street. Yeah. But like having women as almost the face and saying like, here we are, you can, you're welcome here. You know, I think that's helpful. I think like knowing that there's a woman, even just like one there is going to make someone less intimidated. On that pink boots, society that we were talking about earlier is the largest or the largest chapter of it in the country is in Massachusetts with 188 members. 49 of them are managers, 29 are brewers and 26 are owners. And I know you had a role in the Pink Boots Society uh, throughout your career. Can you tell us what they do, what their mission is and what role you have played in their growth? Well, so I actually sent a letter to Brienne the other day of how amazed I am from the day that we sat at Harpoon Brewery and she told me that she was starting her own chapter and I had to be involved. And I was like, yeah, girl, sign me up. Like, how do I do this? Like, let's start a brew day. Let's do all this amazing stuff. And where it's come today is amazing. She has grown the Boston chapter to, yes, be one of the, the largest chapter in you know the nation, which is amazing. You know, like she has so much motivation and ambition and she keeps driving this and she wants to be able to offer everyone in the Boston chapter a scholarship every month that's being offered and develop them and help build women in Massachusetts, like education in this industry. So no one feels like they're less than, or they're not, you know, educated enough to do this because, you know, so basically just scratching out all the doubt that maybe anyone is having for themselves. And what I've told her the best thing I've seen is the sense of community because sometimes I'm not sure if I believe that it helps to segment segment us like as women, blah, 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 instead of just being a whole out there with the men. But no matter what, the community that this society has created is amazing. When I get up there and I speak to them about how awesome this is to all be able to get together and like have peers to be able to ask questions and feel comfortable and confident and have make friends. And it's just awesome. Like I really strongly believe and what is happening right now. And I love it. Absolutely. Well, and I love what Allagash is doing or they have their pilot system and every employee is encouraged to brew a beer or the Boynton locally just bought a bunch of brewing equipment, not to make any beer to turn any sort of profit or anything like that, but just because they had two female employees who came forward and said, we want to learn more about brewing beer. We know it was traditionally a woman's role and uh, throughout history and we want to be a part of that and so the owner invested in some equipment and now on Sunday mornings they practice with that equipment but that was like fully yeah the efforts to bring women to the forefront of brewing that's awesome (laughs) do the employees have any insight here from front of house back of house I guess we call it cellarman in what kind of creative brewing goes on Uh, I mean, honestly, so when I first started here, I mean, I used to volunteer here to be a brewer and then I realized that I don't know how to cook. So why am I trying to be a brewer? Um, I'm glad to have landed in uh, my marketing role because that's definitely where I shine. However, when I officially started here at Wormtown, uh, the managing partner, David Fields, would have everyone work in every department. 
you know, at least a week or a couple days just to see what every employee goes through. So I got to brew a few batches of Bee Hoppy. I got to keg beer. I got to bottle beer. I got to help, like, you know, throughout everything. And I think we might look really big on the outside, but honestly, we're a really small, close family. So, yeah, we do sit around a round table and talk about this and what we want to do next. And some of the ideas have been thrown out. Some stop and kick their feet. But, you know, we give most creative license to our head brewer, Scott Drake, who's amazing at what he does. But he deals with a lot of ideas flying at him, too. So I think it's awesome. There's no suggestion box. <laughs> I actually thought about putting one in the tap board. I thought that would be funny. <laughs> you would never know. Not a bad idea. Yeah. When you wear your hat as a marketer, I want to know about local brewing publications because there's this like huge blow up recently from the co-founder Bill Metzger of the Brewing News publication. And he wrote something terribly misogynistic. It was like a 3,000 word travel essay that was published on the front page of Great Lakes Brewing News. And it said something. So here I have the quote. It says, in the age of Me Too, the pendulum has swung too far. One aggressive move and a man's career can derail. I feel the walls are closing around me. My room to move is shrinking. My instincts to bed every woman I see is reducing from a king size mattress to a cot, the size of which I can only remember from a tour in Iraq. And he later claimed that this was satire and everything, but he gave no sort of introduction to the article that would suggest that. And it ran alongside news pieces on the front page. Has this made any ripples in your brewing world? Oh, absolutely. Um, The day it came out, I sat there and my jaw dropped. I mean, I think at this point, no one really knows the veracity behind that article or why, you know, he felt like he didn't need a disclaimer on that, but no matter what, it's it's caused a lot of upset. And I personally called Jamie McGee, who is there, his partner for Yankee Brew News, to see what actions he's taken because we advertise there. You know, we give them money, and you know, they help promote our brand. And my, our brewmaster Ben Roche reached out to me asking if you know this was something that we participate in, and I said, you know, we do, but I want to get to the bottom of this because. I, I feel for Jamie McGee, you know, because although he shares like ownership with Yankee Brew News with Bill, this wasn't in that in that paper. This was a different publication. So at this time, he's trying to completely separate himself. He's taken action through lawyers to try and get, you know, his his publication, Yankee Brew News, vindicated from this atrocity that came out. And, you know, I'm fighting for him right now because he is a good guy and he is kind of being taken through the mud on this. And I told him, he's like, well, he asked me a lot of questions, like how I felt about it. And I'm like, I'm, I'm angry, Jamie. Like, that's yeah. really, that was not an okay article. Right. Where's the oversight? Well, Forbes just reported that three companies out of the seven titles that this gentleman is co-owner of have backed out. And Yankee Brew News is one of them. Also Mid-Atlantic Brewing News and American Brewer. They all confirmed that they were going to withdraw from the network to operate without any further ownership or involvement by the publisher. And he agreed to relinquish his 50% stake in those papers, as well as his ownership in all of the others. Mm-hmm. This was a career ender. Right. <laughs> he should have thought of that before. I know. Got to be careful what you say. What have I said so far? <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> I know. I think about that sometimes. And I'm like, so, I think I'm all right. He had kind of made jokes about the weaponization of alcohol in a barroom setting. In your tap room, how are your bartenders trained to deal with that sort of thing? Uh, Well, we definitely make sure everyone's tip certified, beer server certified. I mean, 
God, we make sure that they, you know, they feel empowered enough to make those decisions. I mean, it usually leads to upset if they're cutting people off, if they're, you know, if they feel uncomfortable in any way that they have, you know, the resources that they need to, you know, get themselves out of that situation. So we always stand by our staff. In fact, I think we had an incident here where they had to cut off somebody and every single person wrote a bad review about us. And my managing partner, David Fields, wrote a reply like, you know, we stand by our employees if they feel like, you know, a decision has to be made. You know, you started this article by, or you started this review by saying you came from a party bus. Right. You know, And it's not, it's for the safety of the for a reason. Uh-huh. And, you know, we want our, we want our tap room employees to feel competent enough to make those decisions for their own safety, for everyone else's safety, and for our patrons' safety. And I don't think that we've particularly had any direct womanizing incidents here at the the tap room and I hope to say that we never will right well it's a very warm place uh, I think that the concept that you've got going out there just continues to evolve when you added the winterization all of a sudden I was like oh my god that's my summer spot but now I can go there all seasons yeah so you've got your ear to the ground what else is next for Wormtown God, we have so much. Uh, so obviously we know that, you know, our tap room is small, but I do like to call it mighty. Um, you know, we started in a, a different game and now everyone's really tap room centric. So, you know, yeah, we winterized our patio. We're trying to do as much as we can to make our patrons feel comfortable here and warm and welcome. And um, But with that, you know, we're looking at different options for maybe another tap room, which would be awesome. But, you know, we want to do the best thing we can do for our home location. Like this is it. We had plans to... Uh, build another tap room in Keene, New Hampshire. We've put that on hold right now just because we knew how much we had going on here and we couldn't lose, you know, sight or focus on what was most important, which is our Worcester location, because this is our home and this is our beloved city and we love it to death. So, you know, we're doing everything here. And one of those next steps would obviously is going to be the partnership with the Worcester Woo Sox, which we couldn't be more excited about. And we have a party coming up on March 2nd to help celebrate. So we're exploring our options with them too. You know, we don't, don't know where that could lead us. Tell us about the baseball bats in your beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we all know about barrel aging oak and, you know, the effects that that can have on, you know, beer. So we decided to have a little fun with it. And we got a few, we got what was it, like 20 bats donated to us from uh, Dream Bat. Uh, I forget. I'm forgetting the name. I'm so sorry. I know it has dream in it. Um, so they donated a bunch of bats for us. And obviously, you know, you got to sterilize them. They were completely unvarnished, like untreated bats. So we ended up like, doing the whole alcohol treatment, torching them to create that like kind of charcoal like flavor and stuff. And then we were hoping that the oak kind of uh, helps create a nice little flavor on the Vienna lager as well. So we are going to have the Vienna lager by itself that we're going to can and serve on draft. And then we're going to have four barrels of the small batch for people to try. The bat batch? Yeah, the bat batch. So it's really fun. We had so much fun with it. Yeah, and uh, some of the some of the uh, Worcester Red Sox, Fossock, I know their name's still kind of up in the air. We're here taking photos and having a great time with us too. Oh, good. Yeah, I think that that will be a tremendous addition to the community. Very exciting. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Um, God. I feel like we're going 100 miles an hour and I couldn't be more excited. I mean, like I said, we are a small family and a small community here, but we, I, I told my boss I've never seen such a group of people that love and care about what they do. Like, I've never seen so much passion. Like, you know, we're all working extra hours just trying to make it great every day. And I think it's awesome. So I think the sky's the limit here. I mean, I think 
we just keep coming up with new ideas. Like, how do we reach more people? Like, that's kind of my job too. Like, what is our story? What are we getting out there? And I'm like, the best thing I could think about us right now is that we want people to have a good time. You know, think about, you know, our main flagship beer, Be Hoppy. Yeah, be happy. Go there and be happy every day. Like, that is a staple of Worcester, too. Harvey Ball that created the smiley face here in Worcester in 1963, you know, and have a nice day. You know, be happy. Be happy. I think, like, a happy staff makes a better tasting beer, right? Definitely. Like, if you have brewers who are happy and if you have your, you know, the staff in the tap room serving the beer, it's going to taste better. It's going to be a better experience. We're always very quality over quantity, so... My favorite article that I read this week came out of The New Yorker, and it was all about the no-waste movement. They brought in Douglas McMaster, and he's this chef from from the UK, and he was in New York City this past week, and he was creating like a closed loop. So all of the waste that he creates, he gives back to the farmers in form of compost, and then he only buys unpackaged vegetables straight from farmers and things like that. Um, and the woman who is there actually, who organized the event, Lauren Singer was the one she kept an entire, like four years worth of her own trash in a 16 ounce Mason jar. Did you read about her at all? I did actually read that. That's amazing. I thought about that the other day. Remarkable. But it made me think about the waste that must come out of a huge industrial situation. Like the one that's behind us here. What are you doing with your spent grain and other waste that comes out of the brewing process? Um, the spent grain was going to farmers for a while. I honestly, I need to catch up on what we're doing with it now because I know it was a lot. So I, I didn't even think the farmer had enough room for what we were, you know, they, that was going to feed pigs and, and stuff like that. Um, someone was making dog treats out of it. We're like, that's awesome. You know, whatever you want to do. Um, I've also never worked for a company that's so green forward. In fact, my boss once was like, are those business cards on recycled paper? And if I print things out, he's like, did you need to print that out? That was on your computer. You couldn't like, he's so cautious about that stuff that it's funny, but it's obviously awesome. At the same time, we started a huge recycling uh, program here and people will get yelled at if they throw their cans in the trash. So if, I mean, I know every day that, you know, whatever we can do to help our environment and our city, we're, we're doing it. Sustainability. Well, is there anything that you haven't had a chance to share on behalf of Wormtown yet that you'd like to talk about? Well, I'm trying to also think about what I'm not supposed to say. So I know there's lots of stuff going on here. I just say, like, keep your eyes peeled, ladies, because uh, ladies and gentlemen, because, you know, we got a lot of stuff up our sleeves and, you know, we're trying to create the best experience, the best beer, you know, everything for you like each day. And right now we're drinking some Mass Hole, which is made with all Massachusetts ingredients. I would also like to give a shout out to Andrea Stanley of Valley Malts and Liz from Four Star Farms, who's also some amazing women that own businesses. And that's where we get our hops and our malt from. I love Liz so much. Yeah. When I did work for Arms Abbey, they did an, an entire staff day in Western Mass and she brought us on this huge tour and she's just so passionate about everything that she does. And then I found myself, every restaurant I went to, I was like, oh my God, this is four star farms grains. This is so cool. I'm getting that pasta. Yeah. Or, um, and then all of the breweries she's working with just blew me away. Honestly. Yeah. It's great and inspiring. And I, you know, even Andrea Stanley from Valley Malt, if you get a chance to go out there, she's truly amazing i think forbes actually wrote an article about her as you know one of the leading women and this is awesome so mass hole people and the kids are so cute they're like they're white kids they're super clean looking and then they have beautiful blue and gold massachusetts it's a play off the state seal i love it yeah Yeah. 
So something respectful with a little funny name, Mass Hole, all Massachusetts ingredients, so Massachusetts as a whole. Very cute. <laughs> well, thank you to Katrina Shabo for bringing your fierce feminine energy to Wormtown uh, and also creating a brand that celebrates our favorite hometown. Thanks so much for having me, ladies. Mass Foodies curates exclusive events and publishes thought-provoking content for the food-centric person. When asking yourself where to eat tonight, turn to MassFoodies.com to see what's happening in the Massachusetts food scene. That's MassFoodies.com.